welcome to The Game Agenda, a podcast where four gay guys bring board games out of the closet and onto the table. We're your hosts, I'm Larry. I'm Ben. I'm Matt. And I'm Kevin. And today we're going to uh, talk a bit about uh, Plan B's game's newest release, or newer release, Azul. Uh, But before we get to that, let's do what we always do and talk about what we've been playing this week. Ben, let's start with you. With, With me, Ben? Okay, um, so I'm very excited about this because uh, on a previous episode, we talked about playing Dinosaur Island, which is like the new hotness. It's basically Jurassic Park, the board game. Uh, Kevin, Larry, and I, we had, we had played it yep. what, uh, a few weeks ago. We played yep. a short game. Mm-hmm. Dinosaur Island, you can play a short, medium, or long game. And it was like, okay... It was a little not that exciting. Um, it, it ended quickly. It just never got off the ground. And I believe on the, that previous episode, I talked about my host anxiety and teaching the rules, yada, yada, yada. So I got the game out. And Matt, you look a like a second you're, time. A second time. Oh, I just wanted to remind everybody that I had mentioned that I wanted to play, and Ben said he would definitely invite me. Yes. Continue the story. You got snubbed is what you're saying. <laughs> this, is, this is true. You were, you were snubbed. Intentionally or unintentionally? Um, to be fair, we were actually hanging out before we played so earlier that Matt afternoon. Were hanging I believe out? you were going to a party that evening. So, so wait, just so actually, I'm clear. Actually, all four of us were hanging out. So I'm clear. You were hanging out with Matt. Yes. And then after he left, you made sure to play yes. Dinosaur Island. Yes. And then made sure to include that fact yes. in this recording of the podcast yes. to rub it in his face. Yes. Oh, I want him to have wow. maximum FOMO. Wow. I hope it was good because I'm going to make you play it again. <laughs> I will happily take the punishment because honestly, pl- I played the long game uh, and it was a night and day experience. It went from being, yes, fine. To so much fun. I couldn't believe it was the same game. What changed? Um, I think uh, we were able to get into a little bit more of the strategy. And um, uh, there was a little bit more uh, strategic considerations about things like what to buy from the marketplace. Or which die should I take during the die drafting part of it. Uh, That may have been in part because... Uh, this was this had been my second game, so I had felt actually more comfortable teaching the rules. So I think it, it translated better, so it was a smoother experience. But it went. It we got into it. We played the long game. The long game was long. It took us like four hours. Well, they call it long game for a reason. Yeah, but sometimes a long game is like two and a half hours. Do you think the fact that it was a longer game though allowed more for those kind of strategic considerations? I think so. But I I think you know I think sometimes with games when you have your own little tableau because ultimately you are building a little theme park and you're putting in rides and stuff like that. I think the more time you spend with your tableau, the more fun you sometimes have, right? It's true. Because it's, well, I don't know if this one is sort of an engine builder where you're sort of building it up. but Semi. It's always fun to get more stuff and have it interact in different ways. Yeah. I I do wish, because it is a tile lane game, I wish that the tiles interacted with each other. They actually kind of don't interact. It's weird. But (laughs) um, but but there is like an engine building quality. The tiles matter though for space because you can't overpopulate your island. Like, if you put too many rides on, you're not going to get enough dinosaurs. And if you put too many dinosaurs, yeah. then you're not going to get so enough rides. And restaurants, and restaurants are way more important than I ever thought they would be. Well, they're your income As generator. Yeah, they're, they're, your, they're, they're your money generator. Exactly. Um, so, but what's funny is that online, so the, company's, uh, the company that publishes it is Pandasaurus Games. And uh, there's so many people online who are already bitching about things like, well, turn order is overrated. It's not overrated. It's overpowered. It doesn't work right. And some people say, I don't like how th- these the small carnivores are like worthless when you could just get a large carnivore or an herbivore. Herbivores are overpowered. And the publisher 
keeps on very politely posting things like, we've play tested this, we've play tested it for hours and hours and hours, and we have so much data. They kind of want to be like, shut up, everyone, just play the game. I wonder how much of that, though, is because they're a Kickstarter. Like, if, if it had been a large company that had released it, say, CMON, right. one, would it have been play tested enough to maybe actually address those issues? Or two, would they still have gotten the same level of feedback and... Like, people wouldn't yeah. feel like, oh, these Kickstarter folk didn't play test this enough, so that's why these things are problems. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. I, I tend to think it was probably well, well play tested because one of the designers is the guy who designed Dead of Winter, so he's not like some no one. He's And he, they also just... Wait, who? Jonathan Gilmore. Oh, okay. And it's the same company that did Wasteland, Delivery Express, whatever that game is. Mm-hmm. So it's not... <laughs> they're not, you know, some ridiculous game. Um, that's supposed to be very fun. Uh, the thing but, is, no matter how much you playtest, like the number of people who playtest a game, even if you have a dedicated team of playtesters, it's not going to be anything near how many people are playing it when it gets released. Yeah. I also, I have like a strange um, faith in authority sometimes where I'm like, well, they said they playtested it, so I'm sure it's fine. So I'm always, when people complain about things being unbalanced, I'm like... You're just complaining, you know. Matt, do you complain about things being unbalanced? <laughs> never. No, never. Uh-huh. Well, needless to say, the point is that on the previous episode, I was like, I want to give this game another crack because maybe there's more to it than what we experienced. And I'm happy to report at this early juncture that the long game was extremely fun. And you know, I've been on this like storytelling thing lately where I'm like, what about the storytelling? There was storytelling. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. We should definitely, as a, as a, as a group of four, especially because I, I was so rude to not invite Matt to the dinosaur bonanza, um, much as he did not invite me to the terraforming Mars. You didn't Mars invite me to bonanza either? To the, <laughs> <laughs> just as he didn't invite me to the terraforming Mars party that he had, um, we will definitely have a makeup session of Dinosaur Island. So what is this terraforming Mars party? I mean, I don't know. I just found out about it now. I wasn't in <laughs> So I'm a huge terraforming Mars fan. I, I th- actually think all of us here are yeah, big terraforming Mars fans. Yeah. Uh, so, but one thing I'd never done, which I just did yesterday, was I played all three maps back to back to back. So it was a nice... It was only eight hours, actually. Oh, okay. Nice eight hours of uh, terraforming Mars. Were you the same corporation all three times? Uh, I was two different corps. So uh, so you drafted like the corporations each time? We, yeah, we do maps. the drafting rules, which are the tournament which are the tournament rules, which is at the beginning, your ten cards, you draft five going one way, and you draft five going the other way, and then you pick your corp from the two that you have. So, wow. How many players were you guys? It was three, then four, then three. So we had wow. one, one... So t- of the two of us were there the whole time, and then two people, one was there the first two games, and the other was there the second two games. Uh, but it was just so much fun. I just love that game. It's like, great I could game. play it forever. Which of the three maps did you like the best? Uh... Honestly, I don't. I don't think there's a massive difference between the maps. They they all have different objectives. I feel like I'm I'm happy playing all three of them. Uh, I think the the blue one is probably the most divisive. I've had a lot of people complain that they don't like that one uh, because the objectives on it are very strange. Hmm. Uh, it has like the like get. I think it's like get six electricity generation is one of the objectives for oh. milestones and a couple other weird ones. <laughs> Uh, but that's the one that I actually won on, so yeah. I think it's the best map. Do you think, like, uh, I was watching a review of the expansions, and I haven't actually played my expansions yet, but uh, I have them sitting there for, like, two months, my Terraforming Mars expansions. Venus or, or the boards or both? Venus came, like, 
like three weeks ago, and I haven't played that either. But um, but some reviewers have said that it would have been great if the milestones were not like locked into a board where you can mix and match milestones mm-hmm. with maps. I would love that. Yeah. Do we think well, that would be a good idea, or do you think like they 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 design the maps? match the milestones. They kind of did that, though, with Venus. I mean, they added, you know, the two Venus milestones that can kind of get shuffled right. in. Oh. But definitely, I mean, definitely some of the, well, the milestones, I think, probably could change map to map. Uh, but the awards, no, they, no, they can't all, because one of the milestones is Polar Explorer. Right. Uh, so that can't change from map to map. And same thing with the awards. One of the awards is, like, real estate, or actually the, the estate dealer could, because it's by water. But yeah. then there's one that's uh, the southern half of the map on the green uh, that also couldn't change. So why couldn't the southern? Can't you do southern half on any map? You could, but I, I mean, feel like, like it would actually make a big difference. On that map, it matters because there's nothing on the southern part. Yeah. So that's the incentive <laughs> uh, for, yeah, for the southern part. Really sucks in that map. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that sounds like a dream. Being able to play three three games of terraforming Mars in a row. There are very few games of that weight and that length that. That sounds like an appetizing endeavor, More and yet I'm jealous. The fact that you had time to play eight hours worth of you know gaming, <laughs> I'm jealous of. Yeah, like, yeah, I, I do that a good a good amount of the time. I find enough time for it. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was going to mention Terraforming Mars with Dinosaur Island. The first time I played Terraforming Mars, uh, I played a two-player game. And I played the basic version. I didn't have the advanced cards shuffled in. And it was the same thing. It was like herky-jerky rules explanation. And I played it and I was like, this game is nice. It's not, I don't know if it's amazing, but it's nice. And then you add in all those, the extra cards. And I was like, whoa. When you do the, the was the the corporate, the corporate, what do they call the Corporations? Expansions? Not the corporation. There's a name for it. Corporate era. And all of a sudden, Terraforming Mars is like, Amazing, and I kind of I actually felt that way about Dinosaur Island that it like came to life with it. Well, it's funny when you play a game. I think the way it's intended to be played, it plays it, well. Yeah, it's, it's nice how that happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did anyone else play any games, Larry? Yeah, um, I uh, did not have someone to play eight hours of gaming with me. Mm. Uh, so I spent uh, the past week mostly playing solo games. Oh. Um, so I actually have decided to go ahead and play Charterstone uh, solo. Oh. With uh, Automata, 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 that thing. You got a robot you played with? Yes, I have two robots actually that I play it with. Um, they uh, sit in the chairs across from me. One's C3PO and the other's R2-D2. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I've gone through uh, three games of the 12 in the campaign so far and they're kicking my butt, which is really kind of sad. Do you like it? It's okay. I, I mean, mm. I enjoy it. It's interesting. I'm trying to get the feel for how the game is meant to kind of get played out, particularly mm-hmm. solo, because I, my senses of solo is very different than if I was playing it with other folks. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a group of friends who started there. They, they really liked it. They said it's like a good entry city building worker placement game. I would agree with that. Uh, and so the, they really liked that it was like simple and clean. Yeah, I agree uh, with all that. I think so. I, I actually I was kind of meh on it. So, but after yeah. hearing that, I'm now sort of interested in playing. I don't necessarily know that it's anything to write home about, but it's fine for what it is. Yeah. Um, I also have been playing the um, Dresden Files uh, uh, card game. Uh, I don't know what that is. Don't know it. Don't know. Dress based on balls. the books? Yeah, based on the books. Um, so it's been fun. Also can do it solo. You just kind of have your little dudes out with their hands out and 
try and defeat the challenges and roll some dice yeah. and spend some fate points and get your butt kicked really bad again. So I, okay. apparently the upshot is, is that I should not play solo games because I'm destined to lose. Well, that's, I feel like that's how they're designed. I don't play solo games very often because... I don't know. I, I, you know, it's funny. I like video games, and that's often a solo experience. But solo games, sometimes I'll do it, and sometimes it'll sometimes it'll be fun. Like Terraforming Mars is actually a really great <laughs> solo game. Like it's a puzzle. It's a really fun puzzle. But other ones, I'm like, I get sad. I like it because I can just put on Netflix and oh, I can fun. you know um, you know play a game while yeah. you know my husband does his own thing and you know in the other room and maybe it's that's nice. why you're losing if you're watching TV while you're playing <laughs> that yeah, yeah. yeah. that's my true attention. you know C3PO and R2D2 do not need to watch TV well, they, they I just scroll I think it'll be very interesting to see how Charterstone solo compares to Charterstone with other people I am not playing it um, I don't know like maybe I will I, well I was momentarily in the Char- Charterstone group, and then I was <laughs> summarily ejected because my schedule is not is not. Well, the nice thing about Charterstone is, is you can kind of come in and then kind of bounce back out whenever. So yeah, I think if I folks decide out. that they're going to save me from solo Charterstone, there's... I'll, you know, I'll come in, I'll save you once in a while. Okay. There's two other uh, inactive cities, I guess, you know, that you can come I... in and play. Charters, I guess they're called. But one of my... On principle, I have an issue with Charterstone, which is that I was so thoroughly excited about the idea of a legacy-style city builder. And when I saw the art for it, I was like, it doesn't really look like a city. Like, I was expecting to, you know, start out with, like, like houses that would turn it... Like, SimCity. Basically, houses turn it... Oh, you want whatever. This is more of, like, a... Village. Village community. <laughs> yeah, which is cool. But I was thinking of, like, a SimCity thing. But who knows? I mean, hey, I haven't played Charter so maybe it will the have thing that really, The thing that really got me, like, meh on it was that... It doesn't appear that the placement of your like buildings and things really matters, like hmm. where they are in relation to one another. Not in relation to one another, at least not. And also, found. each person has like their own area they're building in, right? Yeah. So we're not actually building like one city. We're kind of building like six cities. Well, you're building districts, is how I look at yeah. it. Yeah. And you're getting victory points at the end of the campaign based on the highest value of the the, 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 dis- the buildings in your district, hmm. and it matters because. You end up being. Uh, I shouldn't say it's. They're spoilers. I guess you find right. out in game two that. Oh, see, there spoilers. should be. I think what would be great. Ted Alspach from Bezier, Bezier Games. He should come out with Suburbia Legacy. That would actually be super, super cool. I think. I don't know how He's you do it. He's probably working on it. Yeah, because everyone's doing one. But that would be so cool because you do get when you when you make your tableaus. I would like that. You get some kind of attached to, you know. It would like, be also a nice opportunity to make Suburbia better. Yes, well, at least graphically, right? I mean, I do like Suburbia, but there there are some things that need to get tweaked. Like what? Uh, I mean, there's sort of... It's ugly. There's well, a it's. I don't think it's terribly ugly, but yeah, the the visuals could <laughs> get updated. It's ugly. The it's visuals dated. Could get up, visually get updated. Yeah. Uh, and then B, I think right now the way the population and income and all that stuff works is it's basically there's like one strategy in the game which is to like boost your income all the way up and don't get any population until like the end of the game where then you just like get all your population yeah and i i don't like that i think there could be a much more interesting dynamic around that i think it's a great observation i do think it's a little one-dimensional but 
storytelling, the storytelling in suburbia is always so good. You know, like when you build some crazy city where you have all the schools next to a toxic dump, like that's yes, hilarious. And especially if you had that, like some sort of legacy thing where your city is like evolving, like game from game to game. That would be, like that. your toxic dump continues to kind of like poison people. And... <laughs> well, it'd be crazy if, if like here, you know, um, my buzzword of 2018 is storytelling, but it'd be great if, this, if the game actually did some lifting with this with storytelling. You well, know? so speaking of like toxic dumps next to populations, yes. for whatever reason, that always makes me think of antiquity, which oh. I have ordered and apparently is on a boat somewhere from Splatter. I want to play. I really want to play it. I, I, I really uh, what is play antiquity? It. So it's it's kind of a, a heavy civish game, yeah. but, the, but the, the thing that like has always caught my attention is, is that you like create trash that kind of mm-hmm. like clutters your board and like yes. as you grow you have to like figure out where you're going to put trash and there's like graveyards or you bury people yeah. in places okay. and stuff and I'm like I'm getting I'm a minor all flashbacks this. I'm getting a little bit of flashbacks to Steam Park which I really didn't like how that oh. worked in that oh, well, Steam Park had like oh I never thought about that that, that had trash Robo like robot poop robot poop the, yeah, ooh. yeah. Well, but this sounds more interesting it's like you, you where do you put your trash right it's like landfills it's like you it's waste you harvest an area and then it yeah pollution maybe is what it's called you harvest an area and then when you harvest it it ends up getting kind of polluted and you can't use it anymore and kind of having to clear it out to then kind of mm-hmm. re-harvest that sort of thing. Yeah, and actually, um, I feel like on a previous podcast we were talking about the Tetris pieces that Uwe, Uwe Rosenberg yeah. made popular, mm-hmm. but Antiquity, which predates all of his Tetris moments, it, you're building, you have a central city that you build that is Tetris pieces. Yeah. So there. It is Tetris. Boom. And you get separate, you can get separate boards to kind of expand your city and everybody could have potentially a different unique win condition. Tetris is in. Oh yeah. What kind of God or church, whatever you pick. But apparently it's supposed to be massively unforgiving. Yes. Like you make you mess up, which is what life is like. Yeah, you you know? <laughs> make a mistake and like you can be dead. The game can actually end early with like nobody winning. How long every- of a game is it? I think it's like two to three hours. It's a heavy game. It's not anything short. I would really like to play Indonesia, which is also a splatter game that people say is amazing. A lot of people say it's it's their best. I mean, people go up and down about what they like. Uh, I, of course, bought the splatter game that no one seems to want to play, The Great Zimbabwe, but I will... Just the thing with, with me, that. great, almost as good as Food Chain Magnate. Is that <laughs> it still is a perfectly fun game. The thing with m- most of the Splatter games is they're not visually appealing. Yeah, but you know what is visually appealing what? most to me is Azul. Wow. So let's Ooh, talk about Azul uh, for a bit. Wow. Okay. Let's. let's yeah. yeah let's does that work? The, let's move the the game move agenda over to, to Portugal. Our All right. Main agenda. Uh, so. For those who don't know, Azul uh, is a game by Michael Kiesling, and uh, it's uh, being released by Plan B Games, and it's all about the no relation to the drug. The drug. <laughs> <laughs> I am so I I am lost. All right, you can Google it. <laughs> all right, mental note. I will Google. I will Google drugs later. No, don't Google it. <laughs> um, all right. Sorry. That's okay. I still that's don't. That's not like on the game agenda, thing, right? Yeah. Oh, oh my Plan God. B. That's so horrible. <laughs> oh, my God. That's not like a drug. That's like, yes, okay, it's medication. When you said drug, I was thinking of like... A narcotic. Know, yeah, I was thinking of like cocaine or something. I was like, what's Jingle jangle. Well, yeah. that's no relation to cocaine either. Pharmaceutical so. product. Yeah, a pharmaceutical product, yes. Thank you. <laughs> Anyhow. Um, sorry to interrupt. Ooh, yeah, okay. Anyway, in Azul, uh, you are basically a kind of tile dude who uh, is, you're trying to like create a fancy wall of tiles uh, for the king of Portugal, which really sounds like a horrible and boring theme, and it really isn't all that thematic of a game, I think, but 
I found the game to be very interesting and pretty because what you're doing is um, there are like a series of spaces in a circle. Tile factories. Tile factories. Factory displays, actually. Tile displays? factory displays. I think it says right there, there are factory displays. Tile factory displays. Yes, well, you've got to display your tile. Well, in, yeah. In your factory. In your factory. Yeah. You put four tiles on each one in, um, uh, was it, five different uh, kind of shades or colors. Mm-hmm. And on your turn, you select all the tiles of the same color or type uh, from one of these displays or from the center. And then you en- end up putting them into a tableau, and based on how you fill out your tableau, they then move into the, the tile wall and then end up scoring at the end. But the problem is, is if you take too many tiles of a particular color and so can't fit it right into your tableau, you end up having to drop the tiles, they break, and you lose points, and everybody laughs at you. Yeah. That, that's kind of, I think, the general rundown of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. yeah? Did I miss anything? No, that's it. Kevin, yeah. you are, you're beat red, you're shaking your head. I feel like you're still fixated on this uh, Plan B comment, <laughs> or something else is totally going on here. I just was sad about dropping tiles and having yeah. to smash. Mm. It's not good to drop tiles. I think in life, one does never, one never wants but to drop the, a tile. And, and for good reason, these tiles are beautiful. They're beautiful. So let's talk about the game. Let's, as we always do, start with kind of art, graphic presentation, components, that sort of thing. So what do people think about, not the mechanics yet, but just kind of the visual appealingness of this game? A plus. It's so pretty. <laughs> it's really striking. I got to say it grabs me and... They have me at like just really nice feeling tiles too, and obviously the sound of yes. them too. But yes. even the looks of the tiles, it's not like they're just colors. It's like two of the co- out of the five colors are just solid. Yes. The other ones mm-hmm. have designs on them, and the designs are featured all around the box. Uh, it's really just striking. Great logo design. It can read the the title really easy. I, yeah. I think it pops. Love it. I can say there's something that you mentioned the tiles. There's something satisfying about. The feel and the weight of yes. the tiles. I don't know if they're they're not really plastic, or they are plastic, um, or they are. They are. Are they? They are. They're, well, they're not ceramic. They're gems. They're, they're, yeah. they're like they're like those gem those like um, plastic roundy gems, but they're bigger and shaped like tiles. They're a little heavier. Yeah, they got kind of like a lacquered finish. Yeah, they're, or they're, they're, the thing is, they, they look weight. and feel like actual tile. And know, while not being well, actually breakable. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, I don't know they well, might be. Well, to the degree that a tile smashing on the floor would drop them from. They give a wonderful sound, and it's fantastic. Yes, that sound. This, that, this lovely sound. sound. And, and for me, being the first player, even though you end up losing points when you take the first player, you at least get the joy of being able to reach into the bag and pick out the tiles for all the other factors. Uh, and speaking yeah. of the bag, the bag is also gorgeous. Yes, comes it. in this beautiful cloth bag with this white and blue print all over the bag. And just white like an Azul it, print. It, yes. And it's aged in a way that is just really beautiful. It mm-hmm. just feels um, almost like an antique kind of item. Mm-hmm. Everything about this really plays in. As much as the theme, like, you know, you don't necessarily Pretty feel like you're doing this tiling, like, you know, it says in the description. But all of the pieces in the world kind of do, like, feed into mm-hmm. that, though. Yeah, and the color scheme, by the way... It's beautiful. The tiles all look nice together. Well, there's a lot of blue, azul, which is, you know, right. why it's called Blue and red is sort of like the secondary, but I, I think it's really well but, done. You know, not, you know, do you remember we played a, um, a few months ago Tyrants of the Underdark? And it was yes. all purples, purples and whites and grays. Yes. And 
it was ugly. I love purple, though. I know you love purple, but it wasn't a good execution of purple. But I agree with that. But I think this is a case you of need, where the blues all work together. Color. Mm-hmm. I think this having the secondary color, like it, it has blue as like its primary, but it also has other colors. But I, I think that was really also well Underdark's kind of had a problem with. They had this weird art and poor graphic design. Yeah. Whereas this game really doesn't need to worry about art and graphic yeah. design. The actual components are the art. Yes. yes. And it, and so as a result, when you're playing this, everybody has their own kind of board, and you have these kind of this collection of tiles in the middle mm-hmm. of the table. I find it to be kind of visually arresting where people who walk by stop mm-hmm. and say like, well, what is this? They're, mm-hmm. they're interested in kind of just figuring out what's going on. And there's yeah. some art on like the, you know, the punch board player boards have some art on them and the factories. It's a, it's a pattern design, but yeah. it's, it's really nice too. And the components are nice. They are chunky and mm-hmm. they feel high quality. Uh, everything about this game to me just feels really nice. How do you feel about the score tracker on the player board? Do you have any issues with that? Some people say it's that it's like it would be nice if they had that like recessed thing going on with it. So yeah, it's very much um, since we were talking about like terraforming Mars and things like that. Uh, the tracker on this is a small cube, and there's many spaces, and the score can go up to like a hundred points or even more, I assume. Um, and very easily, if you hit the board, it, your piece could get lost. And they don't have a number on every space. Yeah, and so it is annoying me. that you don't necessarily remember maybe where you had it, its placement. So to, to Ben, to your point, if it was recessed, that would make it A++. But right now, it's still A+. Yeah. For me, the fact that each row is 20 across as opposed to 10 across makes it confusing to do the math and yeah. I know it's kind of a weird I thing. I thought it was okay. I, I, they color code the fives, which is good. I like that. But I always find but myself like skipping over extra Put a number on every tie. Put a number on every number. I yeah. don't know that I agree with that, Matt, because I feel like if you had a number on every number, it would make this score chart look way too busy. You could make it faint. You, there's a way to do yeah. it. But the thing is, yeah, some people like back. to do their, their score by just simple addition. And so they're on there and they're like, where am I now? I'm getting 16 points. Okay, let me add it up and put where I am. They don't want to like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And it's just easier if the number's actually there. I, w- I wish there were a way where the, the score tracker could have gone around the edge or something like that. So you don't have this big block yeah. of like white... Squares, but there's not really hood. There's not, there's not, yeah, they would have had to make it bigger. Well, the other thing they could do though is to just made a whole separate, like, collective uh, tracking sheet where everybody can kind of keep their score in one place as opposed to individually on your actual tableau. I actually think I might have liked that, yes, um, like something in the middle, maybe like where you could put the factory tiles and then Mm have the score tracker there. I don't, I don't, I'm gonna disagree on that one. I like it attached to the individual player boards. I like the fact that the factory, the factory pieces where the tiles are being displayed, is the center kind of yeah. focus. The scoring, and this is one of the reasons also to why I like this game. The scoring is important, and obviously it's how somebody wins. But it's it doesn't feel like the focus. There is such a nice yeah. communal thing of going into the center as people are pulling tiles from that for their own boards, and so where we all meet together is at the, those factories with those tiles. I think putting the scoring there would have muddied this. Just in a weird way for yeah. me. Actually, I, I would have loved it. I yeah, mean, I see that. Because yeah, good... you push the tile you, you don't pick into the center. So what are you doing? You're pushing them onto the scoreboard yeah, if it's in the center? Yeah, that's true. I wouldn't have liked it. Yeah. yeah. But speaking of the tiles and kind of these factory things, one of the fun parts for me was always you know, cheering, hoping to get a, a, a grouping of four on any one factory. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, no. And, okay, well, we only got one grouping of three and, you know, on this factory. Mm-hmm. And who's going to be the first one to kind of snag it? And, yeah. you know, I, I know that's not, like, the main part of the game, but it was almost like a... 
it made it made even the setup of each round interesting to me. Well, sometimes you know when a game has a theatrical moment like that, or moments for, for drama of like, what is the draw going to be? And and there's it's not a it's not really a push your luck situation in this case, but uh, there is. Whenever there it is, is a like, little bit, right? Well, because the game the has starting player, player but, and... yeah, but like when you were drawing, you're like hoping that there's gonna be a, a four. Whenever a game has moments of like, uh, what's the right word? I'm just a thinking of words of there's a reveal. Thing, yeah. It can add like a lot of excitement to an otherwise pedestrian experience. Not saying that this is pedestrian, but in general with games, it's amazing how how a reveal of something, even in like a tan, when you're rolling the dice, and what's the di- what's gonna be. Unexpected. Yeah, if it's unexpected, that's fun. Dramatic flair to it. I just love touching these pieces. I could yeah. touch the pieces in this game like all day. You just like touching things in general. So <laughs> one of the things, one of the reasons why I corrected you and said factory display is because one might say when you look at the factories, these don't look like factories. They're circles with a pattern on them. But because it says factory display in the um, in the rules, I envision that this is like. A mat that they put out all the tiles. Like this is not the factory, but the factory has put out their it's wares. It's their showroom, and, and that, in their showroom, they're, yes. they have yes. pedestals and with these gorgeous walls like, on them. Exactly, and it actually makes more sense that way. Right? You come over and you're like, "Yes, I'll take these two yellow tiles, and the rest of these tiles, you just throw them out on the street." Yeah, they're like, <laughs> and they did not sell <laughs> into they're a worthless. pile on the street. But I only need for, <laughs> I only need for one yellow, so I'm just going to smash this <laughs> other one and, <laughs> and never use it. Oh, this is such a. Well, you're, not, you're not intentionally smashing you're just you're, you're putting it up on the wall you're just like I love these two tiles I, I know there's room for both of them I know and you're being way too overly ambitious and the other tile just breaks and your entire investment's not worth it so did you guys find this game uh, the rules for this game to be easy to understand easy to pick up was it complicated what do you think about kind of the gameplay as a, as a whole elegant in elegant. one word yeah. yes I think this game in a was, very Ben word I think this game mm. was very elegant the rules are almost like self. You have to tell people like this is how it goes. You teach person. You teach someone in like one minute, and I feel like I would never forget a rule in this game. It's like very straightforward, yeah. very simple. Everything makes sense. Uh, it's spatially laid out. It's summarized. The scoring is summarized on your player board. Yeah. Uh, the iconography um, for how you score is sl- one of them. The one for like you score for having all of one color. Uh, I thought that that iconography was not. I perfect, found scoring but... as a whole to be confusing. Um, and and mm. you know in the rules it kind of says you know do it a couple times and everybody can just kind of score their own thing. I I did not like that. I mm. I needed to kind of sit down and count it out with everybody to make sure mm-hmm. that the scoring was right. Because yeah. sometimes you do score the rows and columns. Sometimes you only score the row, even though you should also then score the column. And then sometimes you don't score any of them. So that's fair. That's the one <laughs> thing that would be confusing about the game is the way the scoring works. Basically, yeah. it's like. When you score, you put you put your tile in your in your wall and from then, top to bottom in the rows. Yeah, that you kind of and when you put the tile in, if the tile is by itself, it scores one point. Yeah, if there's no tiles touching it orthogonally, right? If there is anything touching it, then what you do is if there is at least two in the row, then you count all of them in the row. If there are at least two in the column, then you count all of them in the column. And you add those numbers together, and those are the points. Yeah. And so your main tile that you've just placed could be worth two points because it could be counted in both the row and the column but that's where it gets a little confusing is because you have to double count it sometimes but only if it's touching stuff in a row and, and the a column. column it's basically like if you have if you have the presence of a column i mean or presence, i don't think it's don't think super it's, complicated yeah. i just mean that's why it could get confusing yes. sometimes it counts as one point sometimes it's zero sometimes it's two i don't know it wasn't that 
Well, that weird... was something my mind rocked pretty easily. It was, it's like if you put it down, it counts as one on its own. If you make a column, you score the column. If you make a row, you score the, score the row. Right. And if you make a row and a column, you score them both. I don't know. Yes. I always wanted it to always count when it was touching anything to always count the row and column. So you always I'm, wanted that extra point. Yeah, I, I guess I always wanted the extra, extra, free extra point. <laughs> what can I say? He just. I, I'm always looking for a handout. Yeah. Well, you know. Um, uh, yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was very elegant. Um, <laughs> and uh, of course, I'm storytelling. Rem- yeah, the storytelling <laughs> was amazing. I was like, I am just a poor Tyler trying to put things up in Portugal. I can't tell if it's sarcasm or if you're being serious. I uh, hope there it's was sarcasm. It was sarcasm. There's no storytelling. But I don't need storytelling from every game. As, as I say, I just only the ones that don't engage you mentally. Then you need storytelling. Yeah, actually, because it's like, okay, what <laughs> if I'm not going to be here for the decisions? Then I want storytelling. But it's more like if I feel like there's a, a, a missed opportunity. When you can see something that's not there, that sh- that would be nice to be there, that's when I really have pull out the storytelling card. But this reminds me of Sagrada, uh, which is mm-hmm. also a very popular, abstract, beautiful, streamlined, colorful game that came out in 2017. I think this game, Azul, came out in late 2017, correct? Yes. Uh, yeah. It did. Yeah. Um, I feel like they will be compared a lot, especially as the Spiel des Jahres award comes down the pike. Which, cause that's I the think this is a better game than Sagrada. I, I agree. agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk what about it then. <laughs> I also agree. I just wasn't able to say it in unison. I'm sorry. Oh, that's too bad. You want to try it again? Yeah, one more time. I, I agree. agree. Oh, oh, I messed it up. I was going to stop saying, I think this is a better oh, game no. than Sagrada. We're, we're moving on. We'll okay. just edit it in post. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you guys think this is a a solo experience, though? I mean, you're really focused on just kind of building your own player board. Disagree. Um, no, not that long shot. No, no, this is definitely a this group. This game is so yeah. interactive. I got to say, that's one of the surprises. The nice surprises to this game is it felt, in looking at it originally, and even hearing some of the rules, I'm thinking like, oh, I'm working on my own board. This is a very solitary experience. And, you know, immediately it mattered what everybody else was doing. I was also engaged, not in this way of like, oh, I have to wait for somebody to do something. No, I'm planning some things. And unlike other Mm -hmm. games, I felt like it moves fast enough that I'm engaged the entire time to see what people are choosing. How is that going to affect what I choose? So that that center area with the factory displays and all the tiles, and the tiles even being pulled out of the bag, all of that felt like a communal experience to Mm -hmm. me. Loved every second of that. Um, it's why I think it's a stronger game than you know some other I games agree. that can be compared to it, and um, I just from top to bottom I thought that this was the right balance of group play and solo work. That was actually almost the original name of our podcast, from top to bottom. Oh, not uh, group play, <laughs> solo work. That's a good name too. <laughs> no, but you know what though. Um, so I played a lot of Sagrada <laughs> because my friends and another a lot of Sagrada, Sagrada, um, which of course Sagrada takes place in Barcelona. So we've got a very Iberian abstract uh, trend well, going on. Ben has to know which city he's in. Matt, That's very important. <laughs> your next eight-hour gaming, you should just go through Europe. Like you can just you know, hit all <laughs> yeah, the games. Just go but I, but I will say, I mean, Sagrada is a very very fun game. It's really good. Um, but it's the, one of the few games I can get Ted to play. My husband, and it's it's a game Has that he I found yet. Uh, no, but I think there's probably too much s- tactics involved in this uh, game for yeah. him. So in terms of like figuring out, okay, well, you're going to take these two tiles, so I should take true. that one. Yeah, everyone seems to like Sagrada. Ooh, like it's, it's I love that Sagrada is like an excellent gateway game. Oh, it's so good for that. 
But if you think about the player interaction in it, you know, when it comes time to draft your die, you could, you know, you look around, you see what people have and everything, but it's, um, you mainly are more concerned about your puzzle because Sagrada is, gets devilishly hard as it goes along. And so um, I feel like with Azul, the choices you make in terms of what tiles you take and where to take them from, you are really more focused on the other players and you can, clear, you can clearly see what people need and you can start to anticipate if I do this, then this, then this. It's like there's just a, a greater sophistication to the interaction beyond oh just like, ah, they took my die. I think the game ends too quickly, though. Oh, I don't think so. I totally think. I, I think I think it's perfect. But I, I I always wanted to go another round or two because that's you know, good for for me. I I I want to have more of the wall complete, mm. and you know it's basically five rounds and it's done. I, th- I think mm. usually it, I don't think it. It's very rare to see it. I think go longer than five rounds, which you know, in theory, you could have your whole thing done if you do it right. But mm-hmm. it, but I don't think it's. I don't even think it's probably, maybe probably possible, possible with the number of tiles that you end up drawing. But but even still, I, I don't think I've ever gotten to a point where I felt like I've had even half of the, the, the board filled. Totally. Do you, have, you, have you thought about maybe doing a house rule where the end game triggers when there are two, two uh, rows? Or you could, even just do like, or... you could even just do like add one more round after the end game is triggered. The mm-hmm. house rule that I probably would pick is, is that Matt is not allowed to trigger the end game, but oh. anybody else could. <laughs> okay, yeah, I like that. that I like that, that a lot. That would be the rule. Well... I, I, I want to talk about the other mechanics of the game besides yes. how it ends because I, I really like this game uh, it's super simple to play but the depth is all in the interaction between the players uh, I realized that my first game when I wasn't paying attention to it at all uh, and then and I Kevin and then Kevin destroyed me I got in last place like by far in my, in my first game uh, but I, I just realized like halfway through the game that like oh I don't have to take these teal tiles right now because Kevin and Larry both have filled up all of our teal tiles already. Yeah. So I can take the teal tiles anytime I want. Uh, and I think that that's so interesting, paying attention to what other people are doing and which tiles they filled out. Because the way the mechanic works is you have, you know, you have five rows in your wall with five columns each. But the different rows have required different numbers of tiles to complete. So the first one's very easy. It only requires one tile of that color, whereas the fifth one requires five tiles of that color. But that gives you so much information about what plays people can make or can't make. Because yes. if Larry has filled up for, you know, for his black tiles, if he's done the first four but not the fifth, then if there's only like two black tiles left, he probably isn't going to want them. And so there's a lot of just paying attention and trying to predict what people want. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I really, really like about this game is that it's a it's a competitive game, so we're against each other, but there's actually very good reason to make moves that help other players. Because you're trying you, to force them to take tiles exactly. to make benefits for yeah, you. Yeah, you want to yes. incentivize them to take tiles that you don't want because you're already filled up on those. You yeah. want to incentivize them to take those tiles so that they leave the tiles that you want so you can take them later. Uh, and I think that's just really awesome I think there design. are layers to the strategy and mm-hmm. the tactics sure. that are fascinating. And for me, only have I just started to unpeel them. But that idea of like, yeah, you want to incentivize people. Mm-hmm. You have to think about... Um, there might be something that you really, really want, but you don't want to tip your hand because you know the moment you start going for it, people are going to start taking it so that, that way you can't complete your row. And if you can't complete your row at the end of a round, then that's a big wasted opportunity. And so you want to know just the right moment to strike. But if you wait too long, someone just could take all those colors from you. It's like very it's even, interesting. It's even more than that. It's which colors am I going to try to fill in because 
how the tiles get placed on my in my wall mm-hmm. affects my score. So I might intentionally leave a space blank and try and fill in some other spots because I know when I finally fill that one in, I'm going to get a bigger score from it than if I were to fill it in this turn. Yeah, and that was my mistake when I first played was, uh, you know, because we played on the advanced side, which is just this big, the, the tiles get loaded onto a big blank wall, so you can put tiles pretty the much good anywhere, side. which I've, I've actually side. never played the basic <laughs> side, to be honest. Don't. But um, there is, you have to put thought into how you want to put your tiles, and I sort of just put them... I put them into what seemed logical. I had I was like, oh, I'll just cascade them all down on the right side. And then they were earning me not a lot of points. And you guys replace your tiles, and you get that row and column thing going, and you guys get so many points. And I was like, why? Yeah, I think I think I think you want to make basically a square. The the, yeah. the, the closer to a square your tiles are, I think the more points you're scoring because then you're maximizing the row and column. Yeah, it makes me want to play this. Right now. And why I think it's replayable, too, is it doesn't feel mean, even though it's very strategic and competitive. That's And so I think, important. you know, as Matt, as you were explaining it, it reminded me again how often you're using the honey to get somebody else to do mm-hmm. something. So you are trying to manipulate the way things go, but you're never going to do something that's bad for you in order to make something bad for somebody else. It's usually you're trying to do something good for you that may benefit somebody else. Or at least that's what it feels like, at least when we were playing. And mm-hmm. so it makes it a more enjoyable experience because I feel like instead of it being miserable and, and attacky, it's clever. And I think if anything, people mm-hmm. just applaud the idea of like, oh, you were able to get all that done. And yeah. you know, it just seems like you accomplished something. And, and so it just feels more positive in general, even though it's still competitive. And it's not mean. I didn't feel like it was overwhelmingly mean, but um, there is like a very hilarious satisfaction when you make someone take way too many tiles than what they can afford. Uh-huh. I did it to you, Matt, by accident. I wasn't but even usually. Thinking about it it doesn't not, happen. It much, doesn't though. really happen much. Doesn't it's happen very much. hard to do that. It's, and I don't feel like you ever would play to set somebody up to definitely have that happen to them. It's only because what you had to take benefited you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the effect of it. But now I have to ask our wonder, is that just our meta or is that the way the game is? Because in the rules, like the example they give, show someone losing like eight points yeah, because they've dropped like just, five tiles. Honestly, I think I think it's very difficult to get into a position where somebody is going to lose that many points unless they're choosing to do that. Yeah. Because somebody out there is going to want tiles. Now, mm-hmm. at the very, like when you get really towards the end of the game, there is like a possibility, I think, of this Russian roulette thing where somebody could end up with a bunch of tiles that they don't want. But I think the way that the tiles are split in the game is it's generally going to be, if there are tiles of that color left over, it's because like somebody needs them. Right. And I actually feel like this game isn't isn't mean hardly at all. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, that, that losing points for the broken tiles mechanic is really what makes that happen is that like, I can take the thing that you want but I can only really take that if it's actually good for me because yeah. if it's the wrong color or the wrong number of tiles for me, then I'm actually screwing myself by taking it away from you. So I really think that the interaction in this game and the way it's designed is is really is really great. So what type of player is this game kind of geared for, designed for? This felt to me, weirdly, very classic. And yeah. What I mean by that is this feels like a game that could have been around for a very long time because... Like Othello. Like Othello. Almost. Yeah. You know, very many of those games yeah. from that period of time where it's simple to teach um, and the strategy unfolds. And because of that, it feels like you could give this to almost anybody and get them involved. Yeah. And I think as 
more people like want to play it again right after they're done, then they'll practice and try different strategies. And I think that's what's exciting about the game. So because of that, I've heard this kind of discussed as a potential Spiel des Jahres kind yeah. of contender nominee. Oh my goodness, yes. I can see it. It's, yeah, mm-hmm. it's the sort of thing that almost... When you say classic, it's like I can imagine people buying some poker chips and recreating it. They get five different colored poker chips and put them all in a bag, you know, and they just put out. They get actually would be very you easy just that. to play with poker chips at but home. You shouldn't because this is much nicer. It's yeah, this is, oh, the tiles are game. too nice for you to like but try and like, knock it off. As I recall, Spiel des Jahres is mostly though for more kind of games you can play with your family. They're not yeah. meant to be kind of heavy games. Universal almost. I wonder though, is this too heavy no, for a Spiel des Jahres? I don't think it's. Not. I don't think it's heavy because it's. It's very easy to learn and straightforward. The scoring is the most complicated thing, but I really don't think it's that complicated. It's not heavy in terms of complicated, but heavy in terms of really having to use tactics in terms of the choices and decisions. I think that's. I think the reason. Yeah. yeah, the reason why I think it's actually a good front runner is because you could play it with your family on a very simple like. Let's just let me see if I can fill this out. Mm-hmm. You know, I just want to get the pieces and. And I think, though, that if you want to play it with gamers, though, there, there are deep levels that you can explore. And, that's, and the fact that it can, it can operate on those two levels, sort of like a ticket to ride almost, which you could, you could argue that that has levels. You know, I think this has a lot more depth. I'm saying this has more depth, for sure. But like ticket to ride, is, you could play it as just like, oh, I'm just filling out things. Yeah. Or if you want to play a more cutthroat version with, your, like, with more sophisticated players, there's like an element of like, throwing people off and where you're actually trying to build and all that stuff so um, hmm. I think there are it's a train game the only so one it's a ping game it. it's disproportionately it was the only Spiel the R's I could think of the only Spiel the R's winner I could train think train game overinflated view of the game got listen it. I got Done. rid of my ticket to ride okay I got rid of what? it what? it's true I, I gave it to it. Matt <laughs> Oh, so I, anyway, hey, I took it because I thought it was an accessible game. So it's a great uh, game. It but I, I think so what's you know, what's funny about this is it's it's essentially an abstract game. But I think that most abstract games, I'm like, well, whatever. I don't really care if they put a theme on it. This one, it's like it's basically an abstract game. But I love the theme, and I feel like it integrates perfectly with how the game plays. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and it feels like the theme is just like right for this game. I, I don't know. I, if, for me, the theme doesn't matter what for me is right for this game is just the visual aesthetic yeah. the visual aesthetic fits and that's it's the not, theme I think mm, that's could you have like, made that aesthetic with another theme you could just make this aesthetic and just not call it a, a, a Portuguese Tyler but it would be yeah. informed by is what it, and I think maybe Matt to your point a designer working on this and choosing these looks and making the tiles feel like they do is still being informed by this Portuguese yeah. tile making, mm-hmm. whether or not they put that theme in there. And so, to your point, I get the theme, even though you don't have to play the theme. Yeah, right? I think this is a case where the theme is not immersive. I'm like, I don't really feel exactly. like a tiler, but it's one where the, the theme is consistent and, and, and well thought out and intelligent, so it feels like a special experience. I don't know. I think, I think we're confusing theme with kind of graphic design. Like, I, it... I think it's they're related. Spectrum. I think they may be related, related, but I don't think they're the same. You you get informed. If somebody they, said, okay, here's our theme, then that box designer and that the person who chose the designs for the tiles and the whole look of it, I feel was informed by that. It's, any artist in general goes through the history Imagine of everything we, going on. Yes, but that a, doesn't make it a thematic game. We don't, uh, we're not saying like, that it is. That's true. Yeah, I agree with you. We're I saying that it's a theme informed the look Uh, for instance right these components right we were gushing about the components and how they're amazing and they feel great imagine those same components with a different theme what theme would it be a rainbow 
a rainbow? Sure. So you're building like a rainbow a with like wall. a tile with a rainbow or a castle wall. The castle has but a window. Would it, and feel, would it feel that exciting to have castle wall tiles it that it are different depend, colors? It would depend on the visual style. It wouldn't make sense, I mean, it right? could, well, I don't know. The visual like the, style would change. Like there, the, you could make, you could say you're building a castle and then you have to put a window. Like one of the, some of them are windows, some are bricks, some are this or that, some are like ivy. But would it make sense like for it specifically to be a mosaic where you have one of these I five things and the thing is a mosaic is specific like this variety and I feel like the way like the way that it's built I can't think of another theme that would feel like it fits the way that this theme feels I like think I mean you, I think that you could probably find variations on the tiling theme sure. in terms of like different cultures <laughs> right but I think what's but still I think, mosaics but I think, in certain cultures yes. yeah and I think the reason why this theme works is yeah maybe it's not a thematic experience uh, but it's just glaring at but all this is <laughs> I just, we're, I good, just, we're good for arguing about themes it, it, but, I just I, I disagree fun, but, but I don't know that it fundamentally changes anything really well, about the game I mean it's an interesting yes, discussion but I think that like in this case, I could imagine. Well, here's where the theme works for me. Works so well is again the thoughtfulness behind it. It it has it's a refined, beautiful theme. It's really sort of about art and artistry, and the game is in itself sort of a piece of art, just in the way it looks mm-hmm. and also the way it's executed. I could imagine putting on some like beautiful classical music while I play it. It would have it just the game is inviting a certain kind of sophisticated. Yet very very fun experience. So the, so yes, I don't feel like I'm a Tyler in in Portugal, right. but it is creating a specific gaming experience for me. So I think that's where the theme. Knowing that talking about thematic games is sort of a nebulous, slippery description. That's how I choose to describe theme for this game and why it works. I would say too. I feel more like the rich person who is hiring the Tyler. Because I'm going and picking the gorgeous tiles that I like, and then I don't have to really do the installing because this is too elegant a game to have it done. And I'm just telling them place it here, yeah. place it there. And when you buy too much tile, and they then just like, secretly you just break throw it. it off to the side. So for me, I know we're not saying that, that any of us were playing a theme, but I felt that this somehow evoked mm. a story, even of us, the way we all paid attention to the tiles that came yeah. out. Almost like the customers waiting to see what's going to be in the windows. Right. And, you know, as we kind of set up our little designs, we were thinking about our personal, like, space and what it was doing. I'm shaking I loved my it. head. I, don't, I felt like Matt playing a game. That's what I felt like. I, yeah. I, what I, what I, th- I think maybe what Larry was pointing to is what I would call immersion. Yeah. And that I don't feel like this is an immersive game in right. any way. Yes. Like, I don't feel like I am anybody. I just feel like I'm me playing a game. But... In terms of how it looks and the presentation, I feel like it was well themed from the presentation yes. standpoint. I think the vocabulary, but not immersive from a gameplay perspective. Yes, you know, I think that maybe the vocabulary around theme and thematic things maybe needs to be updated because, you know, to say if you were saying, oh, the theme of this is Portuguese tile making, and that's like all well and good. Then when people say, it, but is it thematic? That's a different thing, and people think theme and thematic are the same. It's almost like the real thing here is: is it? What is immersive. the tone? Of, I would immersive, call it immersion. It's like immersion mm-hmm. and tone, right? Yeah. It's not that immersive, but it creates a wonderful tone. The tone is yes. very strong, and the tone comes from the theme. So it's not saying it's necessarily thematic in terms of whatever thematic means, but the theme is Portuguese tile. I think it's thematic. It's I think the definition for thematic yeah, is, this, what I, it is. I'm actually really glad that, that we're sort of talking about this because I think I mean, it does. It does. It's a very good illustration of a game that can have a theme that fits very well for the style of the game, but without being an immersive game. Pretty much yes. in any way. Yeah. 
Which you don't see very often, I think, which is why I think we're having the discussion. Usually somebody fails, you know, horribly if they don't immerse yourself (laughs) in it. And I think this is one where it's very successful. And that's why it gets compared to Sagrada. Because similarly, like uh, sort of a beautiful, Mm -hmm. sort of original theme um, that, sure, I don't feel like I'm actually building the church or the cathedral. Although there are a few more little flavor things in that game. Like when you use your special mm. powers, it's a tool. It's like you're, you're like, I'm gonna use my spackle. I feel like this game. I'm saying they're like attempting. I'm saying if they're like attempting. Yeah, but like, just, I think this game is more elegant. It's more streamlined. I think Sagrada is a little mm-hmm. clunky because it has those additional elements to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. those additional elements to me take away from the yeah. s- the smoothness of mm-hmm. the game. This yeah. game doesn't need to rely on some of that stuff to fix problems. Yeah, I game. like that there's no special powers yeah. or different... Mm-hmm. We don't even have player colors in this game. Yeah. No. That's what you makes know. it feel very universal yeah. and classic to right. me. I don't think that... The, by the way, I don't think those powers fix anything in Sagrada, but what they're, they really are meant to do is add some replayability, and I've found they add different like wrinkles... But the game is still pretty but much. This game, the game doesn't need that additional I agree. stuff. This to is just clean. The, 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 the replayability comes from the players. Yes, yes. Those, mm-hmm. those powers, those powers yes. in Sagrada, complicate the game in a way that this game doesn't need. And well, also, I think Sagrada, you can back yourself into a crazy corner more, so you sort of need it. Otherwise, the game could just feel mm-hmm. totally unforgiving. Yeah. Let me make it, I should say complicated because it maybe has the wrong connotation. Muddy the game mm-hmm. is probably maybe a better yeah. word. Yeah, I don't even think of their money, but I know what you're saying. It's it, this is just so unabashedly elegant and clean yes. and streamlined. Ooh. So and pretty and pretty and, and deep and European. Oh my gosh. And Portuguese. It should be winning some kind of award. Yes. It will. It will. And who would have thought that 2017 would give us two Azul themed games? Because there's this, and of course Lisboa, which takes place also in Portugal and also True. has the same color. And um, you know, I. I read a poll on BoardGameGeek that was like, what's the best art of 2017? Is it Sagrada? Is it Azul? Is it Lisboa? Is it modern art? And I was like, oh my goodness, there was some amazing art this year. And Azul well, which is, is it, Ben? I kind of want to say modern art, believe it or not. Kevin? I love Azul. I got to say, right now, this is speaking to me. Matt? I, if we're talking about art specifically, I wouldn't say Azul, but if we're talking about visual presentation Both. as a yeah, whole, visual, then Azul. Yes. Azul. Graphic uh, design, I assume. Yeah. If we're talking about art itself, I don't know. Do any of those games really have that much art? I think well, modern art has. I haven't seen the new modern art, so modern art I can't judge. I think one Lisboa has nice art, too. Yeah, it's I mean, beautiful. It's, it's very stylized, um, and it's not as, I think, varied as, as modern art, but it's got nice art. I think this has a better visual presentation, mm-hmm. though. I think Lisboa is very well, it's nice art. It's busy in places for me. This yeah. is mature design to me. That's why yeah. I like Azul. Yeah. yeah. This is, I think modern art, the reason why I give it to modern art is because the game is about art. And it's the new one. It's, it's about art. <laughs> That's and fair. They, and it's like, they have to make it just, and they, I think they did a yeah. great, great job. But anyway, this isn't about modern art. This is about Azul. True. So with uh, this discussion, I am assuming folks are are on board for this game, but I'm curious to know, is this a game that you will add to your collection? Well, I'm going to say this. It's a must-have. Not just for me, other people. This is a foundation building block of a collection. You don't have a collection yet... You go out and you start with Azul. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's the like Catan type kind of gateway type kind of game. It's an easy you know party game, meaning if you have a bunch of people over, and you don't know what to play. Easy to teach, get you right into a game. This is something you need to have in your collection. I will be getting it into mine. A collection essential. Mm-hmm. I think this is an essential. 
Yeah. What about you, Matt? Uh, yeah, what's, what's actually kind of funny is that as, as you asked that question, I was thinking in my mind, I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, yes, definitely. I'm definitely getting this game, uh, which for me, that's very unusual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what's strange, too, is I feel like the more we talked about it, the more I realized that I like really want this game. Me too. Uh, like like coming into this podcast, knowing we were reviewing this, I was thinking like, you know, yeah, I really liked it. It was a lot of fun. And then just like, the more that we talked about it, I'm like, like I have to get it. Because I, I can I can play this game with my family. I could play like there, I, there's any number of people I can play this game with. It's also just visually stunning and beautiful. Uh, so I am definitely going to be getting it. Yes, I would like to get this through. I, I mean, it's just right now it's in short supply, so it's super expensive. Uh, I wasn't sure if I wanted to add it initially because uh, with Sagrada, I added it and I really like Sagrada, but now my friends want to play Sagrada all the time. And I'm like, what about this game? Sagrada, Sagrada. And I was afraid that Azul would just give me more of that. Like, hey, you guys want to play this new game I got? No, we want to play Azul. Maybe you should be inviting but... some of your other friends to play with you sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> if they're not too busy playing Terraforming Mars. <laughs> but um, I think despite that, it's like it's kind of a funny situation. Like, is it going to be too good for its own good? I think I would still get it. Cause You're it so, so funny, good. man. Because I think you always say for games that you like that are good that you like. I don't want this game because it's too good, and my friends <laughs> will play it too much. Like that's it's, it's a well, it, 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 isn't that kind of a funny <laughs> scenario? But like, let's say you just got like. Let, you just got the new Terraforming Mars expansion. You got Venus. You're like, I'm finally getting to play it. Who wants to play it? We want to play Sagrada. But we played it four days ago. But it, so, <laughs> it's, so it's interesting because it, I think it speaks a bit about your kind of play style, right? You don't like playing a game repeatedly. I mean, you prefer to kind of try all the new games that are out there and kind of available, I yeah? Do, I do. I do. Although there are certain games I do like the idea of, like, let's just, like, really get into this. Terraforming Mars. Terraforming Mars. <laughs> I will say this about Terra. Azul. My feeling on it is it will get overplayed, you know, especially in this first year of being mm-hmm. out, and then it will go away, and then a couple years from now, you're going to pull this out of your collection, yes. and then you're going to rediscover yeah. it again. Out of the closet. That is why it is universal, yes. and is why I am demanding you go buy it for your collection going, now. No, I'm going to. I'm going to. We talk, like, midway through this, I'm like, I want to stop this yeah. podcast and play this right now. You know, and I never really felt that way about Sagrada, which I, has become my, like, de facto thing, is comparing everything against Sagrada now. Well, now. this, I feel like, is particularly apt. My, I guess my, maybe yeah. one concern is, is this solvable in a sense of, like, how to put yourself... Because of the order that the things come out is totally random. And the, and order, and the interaction like, with other players. But, like, how you want to actually start spreading out. Oh, yes. I think that's, sure. there is a clear you strategy. You can't control there. for that because of the way that the everybody right. selects stuff. You're right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it as soon as it becomes affordable. So, for <laughs> me, this is absolutely something that is staying in my collection. I mean, I got it initially for the art I, I like and keep games even if they're terrible games because of the art this is not a terrible game this is absolutely a game that I, I, I do believe that this is a contender for Spiel des Jahres I mean the designer he's been nominated and I think has won in the past before like he designed oh, yeah, he's, yeah. Uh, Tikal he's designed Java he's designed a whole bunch of great games so it's not a surprise to me that this game is kind of the quality that mm-hmm. it is and mm-hmm. it's not a surprise to me that he likely will be nominated yeah, well, uh, Michael Kiesling, I believe, is the Kiesling of Kiesling and Kramer. Yep, that is correct. Uh, who also did uh, Lancaster and yep. Rococo. Craftwagen, uh, which is a totally underrated <laughs> car game. Um, yeah, they are. Yeah, he is well known. And he put out like stuff. four games this year or something. Yeah, good pedigree like in that. this. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
So I think that brings uh, this discussion topic to a close. A very happy close. Mm-hmm. Happy close. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's my gavel. Next on our agenda, speaking of happy close, I would like to talk about a little bit of board game etiquette because I think it's always important for folks to mind their P's and Q's when playing board games, particularly other people's board games. As someone who... As someone who has many, many board games, Larry... Please tell us about yes. some of the P's and Q's. The infractions. Let, let, let me, let me just kind of talk to you guys generally about what are your pet peeves? What sort of things do folks do with games while playing games that, that drive you crazy? Oh, I have a perfect example. Okay, go. Okay, so when one of my friends is talking about a game they want to play, <laughs> and I'm like, I love that game. Yeah. I'd love to try that. You yeah. should invite me next time. And yeah. then they go out of their way not to. Yes. That is true. The going out is, of the way not is, to is definitely a key. That is a... That is a How do you feel about that, Ben? I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like it's not such a bad thing if you just know that the playgroup you're going to get together is just going to be just so perfect as it is. And I'm not sure if you want to just add someone just to be polite. So kind of building on that, you're basically saying that you don't want to always invite someone who's always going to win at every game yeah. he or she may play. Yeah. So you think, well, you may not want to intentionally snub someone. It's okay if they're always a winner. Yeah, and it was fine because I think that person was going to a party that they didn't invite me to that night. Right. So it was okay. <laughs> all right, all right. No, just kidding. Um, Topic at hand, though. Seriously, like, what what things drive you guys crazy when you're playing with cards. with folks? Picking up cards with it, bending cards, with it. bending with cards, bending just or or not being aware of. Uh, like marking secret information to a large that's even a larger meaning that but like let's stay first on the bending cards because it's a I subset can, of the I can of have marking. a bigger discussion on this yeah can we talk about bending cards so I think just general but, respect altogether of game pieces and components mm-hmm. is really important and I don't think people always realize how they affect or treat games particularly when they're not theirs yes so so let me give you an example of this Kevin and I are in a uh, Kingdom Death Monster campaign and um, Kevin has a knowing look on his face right now. I don't know if he knows what I'm going to say, so we'll see. This will be interesting to see. And and so, you know, I have these figures. They're, they're very, very beautifully painted, and I'm very proud of them and whatnot. And part of the game is, is you're moving these painted figures around the board. And um, the, the two other folks who we're playing with, I don't necessarily know, understand, or appreciate the paint and the skill and the, all that, the time that kind of went into that. And I have one person who, when he's moving the pieces, has an insist- insistence <laughs> of picking it up and then slamming it back down again to kind of count out his spaces. And I'm not quite sure why he has this need to do it and why he feels he wants to do it. Mm. Um, I will tell you this. You go back to like basic party or family games like a Monopoly or so. Or sorry. And there is something. something so glorious about a metal piece on a board. Yes. yes. And banging it it's is really is really lovely. Yes. And that's I think the crux of the issue is we're talking about games that are no longer like nineteen ninety five at the local yeah. target. These are, you know, sixty dollar plus games we're going up from yeah. there. Yeah. And so this becomes an experience where so my question out to the rest of you our challenge as lovers of board games is to sometimes bring new people into that. Yes. Yeah. With that yes. comes the fact of how much 
education or how much training do you give somebody on how to treat something that's obviously a different experience than the family game they grew up yes. with? How yeah. do I how do I kind of communicate to this person like hey, maybe don't bang the piece down? Just I like to start with the, Oh my God, what are you doing? <laughs> You should. I mean, I, I will... Um, back when... Honestly, I've said that to people when I see what they do to my cards sometimes. I play... I just straight up scream and shout. Like, usually it's not that. It depends on the severity of how abusive they are to my game pieces. I feel like you need like a ruler to slap their knuckles. The thing is, I, I, mean, I, I, play, I play with a lot of new people yes. because I'm play yes. testing my board games. Yeah. You know, my prototypes that cost like hundreds of dollars to make. Uh, yeah. You know, and somebody is just sitting there and like literally it's almost like they're crumpling the cards in their hand. Yeah. And I'm just like, what are you, what doing, are you doing to my game? I, I remember the, uh, I, after I got um, Secret Hitler, um, I had, you know, this, Secret Hitler when it first came out was really sort of hard to get. It was in short supply. Yep. It was popular. Mm-hmm. And I was playing with these people and I was like, I got to show you guys Secret Hitler. And um, the, we were in an environment where there was, I thought it'd be fine. And then like two people brought like salad and they were like eating like the olives out of the salad and then they were like picking up the policy tiles and the oil from their fingers was getting I was like this is my brand new thing but the thing was it wasn't these weren't really like my friends they were my boyfriend's friends so I couldn't really like scold I didn't want to be anal about it but I was like and you could sort of see little yellow marks on the tiles that's what I'm talking about marking hmm. secret information I was like oh. I was like oh I was like shoot I'm gonna every time I play this game I'm gonna know that that's a, a yellow mark that's a liberal but then especially I saw, difficult on secret you know like something like secret Hitler a hidden role game bending of a card yes. like it's, it actually could ruin the game yes okay. but, but you luckily can't they got those it. right because there are like certain really. ways you can but it's like weird but they got a little bit of it on a bunch of different pieces so they're all kind of have little yellow things it's like <laughs> Thank God. Like, we're going to do it to one. You totally ruined them all. Yeah. That's they were so really funny. ruined. Part of it's also about just, like, just relaxing a little bit and be like, it's okay. Well, so that's the thing that I've kind of learned with, with the game. So I have a, a monthly game night where I invite a crazy ton of people over. And, yes. You know, into my house, 30, 40 people. I open up the whole collection. They just kind of play what they want. And um, these are all levels of gamers from, like, I've never played a game before in my life to I've been playing heavy board games for the past 40 years. And I've had to come to terms with the fact that people are not going to put the game away right. Mm -hmm. That pieces will likely be found on the floor, you know, when I'm cleaning up, you know. And and while I I think it it should be or is proper etiquette to kind of put a game back the way that you found it, I I do think to some extent you just have to kind of accept the fact that a game is a game. And if, if I care more about the game staying intact I know those are games that I have to put high up on the shelves where people won't be able yeah. to reach them kind of casual players won't be able to get I them I will say though yeah. too you're, you're a smart um, host of games in the way that you um, you put many of your pieces in a game in separate bags it's very organized so mm-hmm. like you go an extra step once you get your game where you don't just leave it necessarily in whatever the factory setting is you you add all this these other pieces so that it's very easy to see all the parts Maybe sometimes it's too complex for a new gamer to remember that all that goes. But I think it helps if they know what every color was its own separate Mm -hmm. bag. I could just do that again. Like so, that actually helps. I think train them to put something away a little bit better than if they just had the open box. Yeah, and even if they put everything back kind of into one bag, 
yeah. I at least don't feel like it's going to be loose in the right. box and end up kind of getting banged yeah. up and, and bent. Mm-hmm. I, think, kind of I think around. another etiquette broach is... Before that, I have yes. to do a quick aside on Secret Hitler. Yes, oh, yeah, please. Since you mentioned it. Um, I recently saw the non-special, non-deluxe version of Secret Hitler for the first time. So I assumed that the special, the fancy deluxe thing, the, I thought the only fancy thing was that it came in a wooden box. Right. Right? Which is lovely. The wooden Which box is great. Is lovely. And I was like, oh, I don't have the wooden box, whatever, if I'm going to get it, because I've been wanting to get Secret Hitler for a while. Oh my god. The standard edition is hideous. Really? Oh, really? Well, now, this might have been an early... Oh, wait. Actually, I think it was the first edition. It was the first edition <laughs> of I don't know. Whenever it was, at all it was the costs. ugliest thing ever, and it really? was sad and pathetic, and I was like mortified that we even had to play it. I have the the wood box version. I thought the only thing different about the deluxe one was just the, the wood case. Okay, so yeah, maybe, maybe what it is case. actually is then the the Kickstarter was for the second edition. Then maybe, and I think they had a first edition that was a very a, like like know, a print God. and play. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a print and play. It was like a retail version. I but mean, it was but it like, might as well be a print. So and play. Well, maybe and someone got scammed edition. on Amazon. <laughs> no, for real. There were a lot of there were oh, a lot yeah. of Amazon. Oh my god, that's there right. were a ton All of the Amazon. fake secret Hitlers on Amazon. There was a big thing, and maybe someone did that's a printer play. What it is? And they bought one of their oh, friends bought it from. And the man. weirdest things it had separate cards. It had separate not Hitler cards no. that you like <laughs> give to somebody after you verify that they're not Hitler during the like second half you of the game. Got a fake version. And it had like the president tile had like a whole description paragraph about like what the what the thing did. The weird thing is, I feel like maybe it was like the first edition. I don't know. Whatever it is, okay. It's so the that, first. It's good to know. So if I buy yes. Secret Hitler, that's all I lose is the wood box. Well, you're gonna have to double check that and don't get scammed uh, on Amazon. <laughs> but I think all you will lose is the wood okay. box. You might buy lose it directly the, from the I was You like, might also lose the, the wooden um, plaques. The, oh, the wooden plaques. Yeah, that but, sucks. But yeah, okay, that's yeah. fair. Um, I, so another etiquette thing for me um, is when I'm teaching a game, when I'm teaching the rules. When people don't pay attention, um, like if they're on, like like a, like a, it's fine to zone out because it's a lot. But when mm-hmm. people actually like go onto their phone or if they push back, I can't stand basically the uh, like the the opposite of yes and. It's like when when you say there's this like, and someone goes. Ugh. There's so many rules in this game. Oh my god, that's hilarious. What? Huh? And they're just pushing back. And so worse is when they say, well, let's just start playing. I'm sure I'll get it. I hate that. And then they do. They listen to none of the rules. They do that all the time, though. We'll just get started. We'll see. But then the people who aren't listening to anything have never played a board game before. You've proven yourself. It works. And then the worst part is that those are the same people who then you're playing and they're doing something and you're like, oh, this is how it works. And they're like, you, you didn't me. tell me that was how to play. Exactly. Every <laughs> so, single time. Okay, so I have a confession to make, though. I will say, well, let's just play when I'm getting annoyed with either the teaching or the people around. I'm like, I, I can't handle fair. this anymore. I want to play. I figure I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out as we go through. Mm-hmm. It's fine. That's, that's usually what I say. I will never forget. You are capable of that. Yes. I, I am surprised of our capability sometimes. I remember Gen Con sitting down, or, was it, or maybe Strategicon, sitting down at a tournament for broom service, yeah. never having played the game before in my life. Didn't realize we were sitting down for a tournament. And there were three other people there, and I had to go first. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what this game is. And yet... They never knew. By the time it was done, somehow, I mean, I didn't win, but like, they never knew that I had never you, played the game you before. You made it to the finals in the tournament. Oh, well, you? yes, of course, but <laughs> I did not win. <laughs> it was a cowardly win. But the thing is that um, one of the reasons why I really hate when people 
don't listen to rules or just are just like roll their eyes joke like quote unquote jokingly because that that's their kind of humor and they're like oh my god I can't believe that they make a game for everything like that's I hate when people say that because you know does who that are people, you friends with I feel well, like people ben. who like Sagrada apparently I have, that's well, like I a play, huge I play, play. Game, I play games with a lot of people who are like. Yeah. Interested in games and are are capable of playing games like Concordia, but they they're not in the hobby. Do the way your we friends are. only like to play Sagrada because they don't want you to teach them anything new? This no, is, so they, I wouldn't be surprised. No, they actually they love Sagrada and they play they play sophisticated games like Brussels eighteen ninety three. They like they just don't want you to have to teach them new a, games. A lot of newer gamers are like this though, right? They get into whatever is like the first kind of the first game that they get into that they really like. Then it's just like they're just like, oh, let's just play that. Yeah, I, I, I have had know. it with a lot of my but, friends. But, Splendor happened with some oh, of my yeah, friends, coworkers. That's not a bad thing. This is not a bad thing. It's like you know? this is a the gathering is not just working. I know. But, but here's the thing. So, but, but what I was getting back to about about um, when people sort of are sarcastic when you're teaching or they're like laughing at the idea or whatever is that there is there is buy-in some, with some of these games where yeah. you want people to be excited to play and yes. like you know especially in those early if, if there are a lot of rules. And the game is sort of in a fragile state with players because they're, they're not sure about this crazy game with all the rules. If you have the, the one vocal person who's kind of poo-pooing the game, it destroys it the be, whole thing. It, it can spread like wildfire. A total pet peeve of mine. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, like, it's, not, it's, it's like not fair. Yeah. It's not you fair to give the, it the game, game a chance. And to, and to yeah. me, introducing, trying to introduce the game to people. You have to know who to invite to the right games. Some mm-hmm. games are for some types of people and some games are for others. But now, on the flip... So, so basically, I think your kind of, uh, kind of etiquette thing is it's like... Always give a game a chance. Like yeah. always, always give it a try. Don't come in with a negative attitude because if you come in with a negative attitude, you're going to have a negative yeah, experience. Give it a chance until you maybe develop your own negative attitude. But then I will say on the flip side, though, when you play a game and everybody's playing and it's clear that nobody at the table is enjoying a game, it's okay to say let's just call it now because I've also had yeah. the people who it's clear nobody's enjoying the game and they're like, well. Uh, you know, I may not be having fun, but we need to finish it. We need to kind of mm-hmm. end the game. It's like that's not again. You're, that's mm-hmm. not fun for anybody either. That that's also kind of a pet peeve thing of mine. Yeah, like I have actually. As we are talking, I have so many pet peeves that I'm like in my mind. Yeah, I think this has turned into more this of a, a pet peeve thing than session an etiquette thing. <laughs> you're right. It is a pet peeve thing, not an etiquette thing. Now, then, so tell sorry. me what else did the guy so maybe... say to you? <laughs> Most on our social media are actual etiquette choices, yes, maybe. We're, we're going to rename. I'm sorry. The peeves. motion to rename this segment has been accepted. It will now be called Pet Peeves yes. as opposed to uh, Mind Your P's and Q's. You're right. And, uh, I did turn it into Pet Peeves oh, instead of too. etiquette. I did too. True. We've just but been bitching this line. entire segment about people. Well, <laughs> nameless people. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to do two more. Bend cards. <laughs> I'm going to do two more because I, mean, I could go on about each one of these extensively. You get two more. Two more. Then we're kind of that. I don't like. Um, I don't like when people are late to game nights, <gasps> or they want to leave. Or they need oh. to leave early. They have a commitment. Oh my god! Need because to they have leave friends early. coming over and they have to leave at a particular time. Yes, yeah. <laughs> especially if the time. Tonight. Especially if the timing was known ahead of time. Yes. If the, if the game says like this game's going to go from eight to ten, and then at nine they're like, oh yeah, I have to get the thing. It's like. Yeah, it's it's it more like that. I mean, we'll say this happened, and we all know, you know, when this who this happened to. Somebody was so excited to set up a two day game event for a very complex game yes. that they asked everybody to watch how to videos, which they sent to everyone on how to learn how to play, 
And within 20 minutes, maybe an hour, of this two-day game event, people started to like, I don't really watch, I don't know how to play, this maybe we shouldn't do the... Horrifying. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Oh. Yeah. Heartbreaking. I feel bad for if you person. sign up for a two-day event... Like you, you should, you should realize you need to do, do the when you, work. When you sign but up for a, a game, casual experience, yeah, right. it was not a casual but I, experience. But I think like, when people leave early, that's annoying. But also, when people are late, it's annoying because you know you. It's like okay, well, let's play a let's play a, a short game beforehand, and then let's, it's just it can mess up. It really messes up timing, mm-hmm. and it's it's a, you shouldn't be late to things anyway in life. You should try to be punctual. But with board gaming, you know, an experience is like is on the line for you, you know? So an etiquette thing that I will say as to that is if you do end up being late, and it happens, people get stuck in traffic. Yeah. And the people who are there on time pick up some kind of filler game while they wait for you. You need to kind of, like, man up or woman up and, and like, deal with the fact that you're going to be watching them play this filler game until they're done. Like, yeah. don't don't get huffy and puffy that... Okay, you're here now. Let's start the game. Oh, now I have to watch you guys play this other game. Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, and a good a good host of a game to that other side of that point should have smaller in between games ready to go. Yes, yes. To keep all mm-hmm. guests occupied at any given time. That's yes. you know, if the intent is to game, that's yeah part of your job. Yes, yeah. yes. I think timing is is very important. Um, my other pet peeve of my this would be my final on my own personal. Game agenda, pet peeve thing. <laughs> I don't like mansplainers. I don't like that in a, in a game. I don't like if it's if I'm teaching the rules. If I want to be the mansplainer, but if I'm teaching the rules, <laughs> I don't like. Let's say, let's say, um, Kevin, you've never played the game before. I'm like, okay, here are the rules, and then someone at the, else at the table is like, um, wait, so if you do this, that, and then you take over and say, oh, so what you do is you do you move this to move that, and that's that's what you should do, and I'm like. It's such a small thing, but like, I'm the one teaching the rules. I'm the one who has the authority. Unless I like sort of knowingly say, "Well, Kevin, why don't you describe it?" I think that's sort of a it's a, it's obnoxious. That's such a difficult line, though, because sometimes there are points or or nuances that people maybe feel are being missed in yes. the rule instruction, and so they're trying to be helpful and provide the, yes. the insight versus. Affirmatively, kind of stepping in and trying to kind of usurp your role well, as teacher. Also, yeah, Larry, is, you know when it you could see be, it, you it could be somebody. It. Sometimes, what happens with some personalities, they're trying to make sure they understand it, so yeah. they're in a way explaining it out loud mm-hmm. because they're also making sure they got it right. That's true too. The problem becomes when they don't understand. That's what they're doing, yes. and they're right. saying it in some kind of declarative way that makes it seem like they're an expert all of a sudden when they just learned it from the person sitting exactly. at the table. Exactly. That's why you sort of know when you see it. It's like. I don't have a problem with someone around the table helping someone else, but there's just a way that it's done, and it usually carries into the game. It's hard to pinpoint, but when it happens, we all know mansplaining when we hear oh, it. Oh, so it is in the like, game. That's bad. I'm the person who sits there at a lot of games, and I'm like, oh, I wish I was explaining this game instead. But you are so good at that. <laughs> this is Matt's natural gift. It's explaining games. <laughs> true, true, it's, true. It's, it's, not, it's a... Practiced skill. <laughs> okay, so we've spent a good 15 minutes, you know, complaining about our pet peeves. <laughs> Last opportunity for folks to chime in. <laughs> Going once. Etiquette. Etiquette. Going twice. 
I mean, we could talk about it for like another hour if we wanted closed. to. <laughs> closed, closed, I guess closed. I that is a separate I episode. When a topic gets prematurely closed before Part I have one. more. <laughs> the topic Part is one. Done. We are closing pet peeves and they shall not be discussed again for Today. They're, we're Some coming back to it. We are done. Because I, I, I have now summoned all my Recurring pet peeves. But you know what I would like to do is I would like to hear from our listeners what their kind of pet peeves and kind of annoyances are. Definitely. So if they can, you know, reach out to us in one of the variety of ways, which Ben, tell them how they can get a hold of us. Well, they can come visit our social media, uh, the the uh, game agenda on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. Really, just you know, use your own little. Search engine if you can't remember. Yeah, comment here on this episode too. Let comment. us know. Leave a review on iTunes. Actually, we like that. Tell your friends. Um, spread the word. Uh, but you all know how to use social media. If you're if you're listening to a podcast, chances are you know social media. <laughs> you're <too>. advanced. <laughs> the game agenda is what you're looking for. Leave a comment, like, follow, subscribe, download all those things, and uh, you know have good game etiquette while you do it. All right. <laughs> Until next time. I'm Larry. I'm Ben. I'm Matt. And I'm Kevin. See you guys soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.